Well, let's get into the word. I want you to go to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 5 with me. And all week long, and I didn't really know how this was going to play out, how it would come out. Matter of fact, we ended our, I thought I was ending my series on Heart for the House last week. And matter of fact, Luke, that puts all that up in the computer for us, said, are you done with that? And I told him I was, uh, but yet the Lord wouldn't release me from it yet. So we're going to go back into it. But I know I've got a word from heaven. And I'm not just preaching another message, and I'm not preaching somebody else's message. I'm preaching what God has put in my spirit and heart to give you prophetically. And I want you to hear what I'm going to tell you. I believe with all of my heart for those that are committed to Christ, those that have found themselves in the patterns and the purposes of God, those that call themselves the church, those that are pursuing God with everything that you've got, I'm here to declare to you what the Lord said. No matter what's going on in the earth, no matter what's going in the land, I'm telling you, your future is bright. Your future is bright. No, I'm not just saying something sweet. I'm telling you, if you'll focus in on God like you never have before, put your eyes upon Him, your attention upon Him, your future is brighter than what you could ever imagine. It doesn't matter who goes to the White House. It doesn't matter what's happened across the sea. It doesn't happen what happens to the stock market. I'm telling you, those that are planted in the house of the Lord... The Bible said they will flourish. They will be like a tree planted by rivers of living water. I'm confident of this this morning. He told me to tell you the future's bright. Now if you're going to trust the world system, it's going to go down the tube. But if you're going to put your focus in on Jesus and say, I'm one of his. Now, what I'm preaching to when I say the church, I'm not necessarily talking about this building. We're the church. We as people are. We're the body of Christ. Those who have surrendered themselves to Jesus and made him the Lord of your, of your life, you are the church. Even though we, the church, meet in a building. Take this so I don't mess with it. Even though we meet in a building that's called the church and that's still always, I believe, going to be around. But you and I have to be totally devoted. I heard him speak to Israel in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Most everybody knows this verse. And this was in a time, if I understand right, when they were in captivity. It was in a moment when it looked like they were slaves and would never ever get out of that. But God speaks through the prophet. Listen to what he said. Jeremiah 29, 11. These aren't in the notes back there. But this is what he said. I know my thoughts towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of good. And not of evil. Good to give you a hope and thoughts of peace. And not of evil to give you a hope and a future. God said, I know my thoughts. Here's the problem. Are you in your thoughts or are you in God's thoughts? And so many times we've got our thoughts into the world thoughts. And we think they're God's thoughts. But they're nothing more than our thoughts. But when you're thinking like God, God's always thinking about you. And sometimes even when you're in it, you don't feel like God's anywhere around, but God has sustained you more than what you realize. 
because you probably wouldn't have got out had not God been with you. Now, I don't know why God didn't deliver you quick enough. I don't know why we had to go through that. I know the word said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, it says something like this. There is no temptation, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful that with the temptation will make a way of escape for you. I've learned this about God. Sometimes he delivers me out of it. Sometimes he lets me walk through it. But either way it goes, I get to come out on the other side and I've got to be confident that God is with me. Look at your neighbor and say, God's with you whether you know it or not. Whether you believe it or not. Now, we started last week, we are three weeks ago, whenever it was, this series on Heart for the House. And last week, we really focused on what God said to Moses. He said, Moses, I want you to have the people that are willing bring me an offering, told them what to bring. And then he said, I want them to build me a sanctuary, a tabernacle that I can dwell among them. And he said, I want you to make sure that you build according to the pattern. Everybody say pattern. Pattern. Most of the time we we think we're in pattern and sometimes we're not. Sometimes we leave things off. It's like cooking sometimes. I'm not the best cook. I like to try. But I mess up some stuff once in a while. She'll tell me what I need to do and I may not need, I may not do it exactly right. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It happens that way. Or if you're making something, building something, we guys have got this idea we don't need instructions because we can conquer anything. And then you wonder why it doesn't work. And sometimes you got to go back and look at the instructions. They don't put them in the box for no reason. But most of us, we're conquered, so we don't need instruction. I'm just going to do, and I'll take it. I don't know about you. They always put a lot of screws in, and I have a lot of screws left over. I don't know why it fell down. I really don't. I don't know why it leans to one side. Maybe it's because I didn't secure it right with what I had involved in it. I believe that's the way it really is with most of us as Christians and as believers And my attempt this morning is for no other motive but to declare to you what God has put in my heart to tell you that your future is bright if you will find yourself totally focused in Him. I don't care. I'm going to say it again. I don't care what politics does, what economy does, what happens anywhere else. God is for you and not against you. Matter of fact, Jesus said, I come to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Now you got to decide, are you in the church or are you out of church? You're going to have to make some decision. Now this morning, we're going, I'm going to take you on a journey for just a few moments and then I'm going to give you six things. I'm going to give you six things to give us a bright future. I believe it with all my heart and they're through the life of David that David showed us. It's just a subtitle to heart for the house. So I want you to look with me, 2 Samuel chapter, chapter 5 and we're going to start at verse 17. I'll read that and then the rest of it I'm just going to walk through. And so that we can set the stage, David has become now, David is pursuing and becoming the king of Israel. 
It's taken over from the time of Saul. And everybody knows that the people of God, uh, the people of God at some point, because they saw the craziness of the church, this is what they said. Uh, We would rather be like the world than the pattern that God has laid out. And that's really what they were saying. Matter of fact, when they came to Samuel about that, Samuel's upset. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute. They don't have a problem with you, Samuel. They just got a problem with me. They don't like doing it my way. And even though there's always mistakes and God uses infallible people, they're still, or uses fallible people, I said it wrong. He uses people that are messed up and make mistakes. Anybody here ever not make a mistake? I don't think any of us would be qualified to be infallible. But most of us from time to time make mistakes. So God chose to do it, to lead them by judges. But the judges, the sons of, I think it was of of Samuel, were taking bribes from the people. There was just craziness going on. And they decided, we want to be like the people of the earth. Give us a king that we could be like them. God tells them, all right, I'll let you. But I'm going to tell you what's going to happen before I do. They're going to take your sons and daughters. They're going to take your lands. They're going to take your future. They're going to take your worship. They're going to take your church. But I'll give it to you if that's what you want. And so the people chose, they said, make us a king. And God gave them a Saul. Saul was was head and shoulders higher than any of those people. He was good looking. He was appealing to the eyes and he was appealing to the senses. Sometimes if we're not careful, we're walking by senses and not by the spirit. And so for years, King Saul and King Saul did just exactly what he did. King Saul to me represents our flesh. So King Saul goes on and you know, Saul has all of this issue. God gives him a command and he decides, nope, this is what I'm going to do. And so he told him to wipe out utterly all the Malachites. Go take that people, wipe them out. And King Saul did. They went to battle. They done a lot of it, except they brought the King Agag back. And they brought him and paraded him before the people. And instead of destroying everything they had, he brought it back in a sense to say, Hey, I brought all this back so we could worship God. God never asked him to bring anything back. He said, I want everything destroyed. And it began to cost him his throne. And God starts raising up another king. But this time his name is David. He looks nothing like that king. Everybody needs to pay attention to what I'm telling you. He looks nothing like that king. Matter of fact, he's just taking care of sheep. He's the eighth son of one by the name of Jesse. Whose own father doesn't even come out and recognize him when the prophet comes to anoint him king. But you know the story from there. Samuel finds him and asks, hey, Jesse, you've got to have another son. And he brings David, the eighth son. Eight is number of new beginnings. And here comes this young, ruddy, good-looking kid. And he brings him and he anoints him with oil and says, now you're going to be the king of Israel. And so the story goes from there. You know how he went and he faced Goliath and people begin to shout, David has slain his tens of thousands and Saul only a thousand. He comes back into the presence of King Saul. Now King Saul cannot stand this young man and David represents spirit that King Saul flesh cannot handle this young man that's walking in the spirit. And so he's doing everything he can to destroy him. 
from throwing javelins at him to chasing him all over the countryside. And eventually King Saul, to get it where I've got to go, I go too many details, King Saul comes to an end and David is now positioned and is positioning and moving to be the king of Israel, to be ruler according to the word of the Lord. First Chronicles 11.10 says, These are the chief of the mighty men who joined themselves with David to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Now David was never meant to be a ruler in the sense that most of us think. He was sent to be a pastor or a shepherd or a leader that would lead them in righteousness. Think about that for a moment. Because most of us think about tyrants. But David did rule the nation. He led it in righteousness. He led them before the Lord. But yet the enemy is still after him. The Philistines are still pursuing him. Now let's get to this. It says, Now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. And David heard of it and he went down to the stronghold. And the Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephraim. So David inquired of the Lord. That's a very important point. David inquired of the Lord. Listen to what he said. Shall I go up against the Philistines and will you deliver them in my hand? And the Lord said to David, go up and I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David went to Baal, Perizim, and David defeated them there. And he said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water, like a dam bursting and washing everything out. That's what David said the Lord had done for him in the presence of his enemies and a great victory came that moment and you would think it would all be done as they're seeing the favor in the hand of of God upon David but it didn't stop there and the Bible said in verse 22 then the Philistines went up once again everybody say once again about the time you think you got victory here it comes again about the time you think you got breakthrough the enemy's going to try you again Because that's his assignment, to get you to go back where you came from, to get you to tuck your tail and run. But the word said that they come up once again. Look at verse 23. Therefore, David, very important words, David inquired of the Lord. And he said, and God said this time, you shall not go up, but circle around behind them and come upon them in front of the mulberry tree. And it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the top of the trees that then you shall advance quickly. For then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And David did so as the Lord commanded and he drove back. Everybody say drive back. He drove back all the Philistines from Gibeah as far as, uh, as Gezer. And then from there, we've got time. A lot of these chapters, you have to understand, there's time periods in between. And David now is pushing back his enemies. And now David desires. He's in Jerusalem. I want the presence of God. I, I want to bring the Ark of the Covenant. It's been 20 years since anyone really inquired of the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence, the power, the provision of God, has been in the land of Israel 
But it's not been in Jerusalem. It's not been at the, at the place where David was. 20 years it has set in the place. But nobody inquired of the Lord until David came along. And David desired the presence of God. And so David goes to wherever it was, Rephraim, uh, Jerem, something like that. And he begins to lead the Ark of the Covenant with all of the people. Man, we got a good thing going now. We got great desire. All we want is revival. All we want is a move of God. All we want is glory. Everything is set. And they go and they find the Ark of the Covenant. And they begin to lead it out by an ox and a new cart. And they keep leading. They're worshiping. They're having a great time. We've got the presence of God. They come to a threshing floor. As on one side of the ark was, uh, of the wagon was a man by the name of Ahio, who means brotherly love. On the other side of the, of the cart was a man by the name of Uzzah, whose name meant man of strength. And they come to the threshing floor. And when they get to the threshing floor, I got an idea. The ox must have smelled some fresh corn, went for it. It tipped the cart and the, and, the, and it looked like the Ark of the Covenant was going to fall over and use the man of strength with good motive, good intention reaches up to stop it and when he did, he falls dead and everything is stopped. Man, God, what happened? All I wanted was your presence. God, all I wanted to do was to have you live with me. All I wanted was you and now I'm dealing with death. I don't understand it. David's messed up. So what happens is they let the house, they let the Ark of the Covenant on the cart and the ox go into the house of Obed-Edom. He was of the family of the Levites who had the responsibility of taking care of the tabernacle. So it goes to his house. And for three months, everything that belonged to Obed-Edom flourished. Everything. His house was blessed beyond measure. His crops, his, his, his livestock, everything, his family, all was blessed. Why? Because he's got the presence. He's got the power. He's got the provision. He has become a tabernacle at the moment for the Most High God. It's there. And David sees it. And David inquires of the Lord, God, God, God I, we want the nation blessed. How are we going to get it? What do we do? And God goes back to him and said, David, you go back to the principles that I told you to do. Now, remember, I'm paraphrasing. You ought to go read this chapter. You get it off that new cart. You get it off that ox. That's the Philistine idea. That's the world's idea. You go get it off of there. And you get it back on the shoulders of the people. And David and the people gladly did. They put it back on the shoulders of the, of the Levites. And here comes David and all the people, the dancers, the worshipers with David. And the Bible said that David led it. And ever so many spaces, they would stop and they would offer a sacrifice. And it would have to come through the blood, which represented the work of what Jesus would do at the cross. And the Bible said that David took off of his robe and he stood in an, in an ephah or, or in just a, a loincloth like. He really wasn't naked as most of us would, would teach. And the Bible Bible said he danced with all of his heart, not only by himself, 
but with all those that were with them. And they danced their way and worshiped God all the way to Jerusalem. And Michael, his wife, Saul's daughter, how did he get her? You remember when he take out Goliath? What do you get when you take out Goliath? No taxes and you get the king's daughter. So now, she's watching him and despising everything that he's doing. And everything that he's doing is of the Lord. But she's despising everything. And there's, some, there's a passage you need to pay attention in this verse. What you don't understand in the things of God, you better keep your hand off of. Because the word said this. It's here. It's here. I'll, I'll prove it to you. Verse 23 says, Therefore Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. It brought barrenness to her because she put her hand upon the thing that she didn't understand that God was doing through David. Now I say this to all of us, church. God's got many ways of doing things that are far beyond what any of us think. We need to leave the other churches and the other things alone that we don't understand. Because it's only hurting you and it's hurting us. Leave it alone. God didn't call us to be the judge. He just gave us an opportunity, a business to do. Better get off that. And then the Bible said that David gets it there. And when he gets it to Jerusalem, this is what he did. He rejoiced with all the people. He offered a burnt offering and he offered a peace offering. And then he gave to each of the people. He gave them a loaf of bread. He gave them a piece of meat and a cake of raisins. And he sent them to their house in peace. He blessed them and sent them to their house. And then David, time is passing now. The Ark of the Covenant is here. We go into chapter 7. I'm going to give you six points real quick. Just hang with me. i got to show you the story. So now David is living in his paneled house, his palace. And the Ark of the Covenant is out here in the tent. And one day in the afternoon, David looks out and something stirs the heart of David. He said, I don't like this. I'm here in my paneled house and my God is out there in a tent. And the prophet Nathan shows up and he said, David, whatever's in your heart, do it. And that night the prophet lays down and goes to bed and then God speaks to him. He said, wait a minute. You said that, I didn't. Hello? There's prophets speaking. They're saying one thing, but God's not necessarily saying all that. Don't want to get anywhere. I got no motive. Just tell that's what happened here. Hey, whatever you got in your heart, do it. And God speaks to the prophet through the night. And he said, Tell David this. All these years that I have been with them, from the moment I delivered them out of Egypt, and I had to had them make me a tent that I could dwell among them, I'd never asked anybody to build me a house. Matter of fact, I've been quite content here. And I've never asked anybody. And besides this, he says to the prophet, Tell David, what makes you think you could build a house big enough for me? Oh, boy, that's a message right there. 
because most of us would put him in a container and we would limit him so much. But he said, what makes you think that you could build a house great enough for me? And then he turns around and he said, you tell King David. Tell King David, I'm not asking him to build me a house, but I'm going to build him a house. And it's going to be for his future. And it's going to be for his children. And it's going to be for his children's children because I'm going to build a a dynasty for him. And his kingdom will never, ever end. You want to know why our future is bright? Because God has already declared my end from my beginning. God's already declared that if I'm of the lineage and the household of David, that our future is bright, that the world is not going to overtake us. The enemy cannot destroy us, but we are victorious in Christ. So six things real quick. Here we go. You ready? You need to write these down. I'm telling you, this was hot off the press. This is right after I walked in the door. Here's the first one. You and I have got to get back to inquiring of God. What does it mean to inquire of the Lord? The word inquire in your dictionary would simply mean this. It would mean ask. To ask for information. Ask for information. Well, I'm not asking for information. That's not what he said. Remember, for 20 years, nobody has inquired of the Lord. We ought to be asking. We, we're at, I barely believe we're praying the wrong way and we're asking the wrong things. We're saying, God, move. And God said, I am moving. I believe this is what we need to be asking. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to be? How do you want me to function in this moment? So the word, if you really look at it, it breaks it down like this. In the Hebrew, it would break it down. You and I have got to find a place of peace in the Lord. The house that is going to be built in the future was not built by David because David is a man of bloodshed and war. And the scripture said that David had many sons, but he had one by the name of Solomon whose name means peace. Somewhere you and I have got to find our peace in God. That God has this, God is in control, and that's where my faith is. Uh, My faith isn't in this world system. I'm serious. I'm telling you. Man, the moment I get my focus on the world system, I mean chaos comes. But if I can just stay in peace and what he told me to do. Here's another part of that, that, that same thing. Same word. It would really mean to ask or petition to kind of come before the Lord inquiring. But it means to be in harmony with God. Remember what David did? He inquired of the Lord. So the first time the Philistines came, God said, go get them. Go get them. He didn't tell him. He said, yeah, I'll take care of it. Just go get them. But the second time they came, he inquired of the Lord again. And this is what God said. No, you're not going to do it like last time. Hey, yesterday's victory may not get you day's victory. You're going to have to inquire of the Lord. He told him, David, don't do it. You go up behind them into the, among the mulberry trees. And then when you hear the wind rustling through, you can go out, but you don't move until you hear it. See, most of us move and we don't even have a word from God. We just think this is how God is moving. Or I did what we did last year. 
or the years before. That's how we're going to, what we need. Uh, we do this all the time, church. We're people of habit. My wife, hey, you're just, when I travel, I stop at the same places. When I watch TV, I watch the same shows. I know every Barney and Andy show front, back, upside down in my dreams. Hello? Because we're people of habit. You are too. Most of us got to get up in the same routines, eat the same thing, go to bed the same time. We're people of routine and never stop to think that God may want to do something different. To bring a victory that's not about us, but all about Him. But you got to come to that place. Listen, that you are resting in Him, that you're at peace with Him. But we are in harmony with Him and we cannot deviate from His plan. It's like the guy years ago. I know there's been... uh, like a guy in my church years ago came to me. Great guy. Loved him dearly. Loved the church. Man, he loved God. And then one, one week and said, Pastor, the Lord told me I don't have to tithe no more. I said, is that right? Well, where did you find that? And he just went and bought him a new car. So I knew what was going on. He bought a new car, didn't have enough money. See how we, do? we, we deviate to things that we think Uh, You know, that meet us instead of meeting God's plan. And and here's the last part of that. I pray, listen to this. I pray to keep myself in focus with God's plans without my revisions. I was listening to Pastor Youngie Cho a number of years ago in Tabernacle Prayer. And listening to his testimony, this man prayed seven, eight, nine hours a day. Man, you'd think somebody prayed like that, revival would hit. He had the largest church in the world. I guess he still does, he's, even though he's gone to be with the Lord. But in his real testimony, he said, I don't pray to get God to do anything. He said, God already gave me vision. He already told me what I got to do. I mean, I could sit here and tell you, and I, when I was listening to his vision, I tell you, I know why I'd be on my knees seven, eight, nine hours a day if God told you to do that. But the reason he said I'm praying is because it keeps me focused on what God said he would do in my life. So sometimes we're praying to get God to do. God said I'm doing. I'm praying to keep you in line with me. So we got to come to that place to inquire of the Lord. Everybody say he inquired of the Lord. Here's the second thing. Here's point number two. He desired to dwell with God. I believe if our future is going to be bright, it's not going to be by anything that man does. It's going to be by what God is doing. You have to realize what's happening in Israel is in a God moment of time that the scripture speaks of. It's the Bible unfolding. So therefore, if I'm going to walk victorious, I'm going to have to learn that I need to dwell with God. God needs to dwell with me. I'm not interested in a little dabadooya once in a while, but I'm going to be a sold out, totally devoted follower of Christ. No matter what you think or they think or I think, I'm giving myself to Jesus and I'm not ashamed of it. We need to dwell with him. And he desired to dwell with us. Here's the third thing. David had to learn to steward the presence of God. He had to learn it. That's why they kept it on the new cart. 
That's why they kept it on the ox. Remember, that was a Philistine idea. We got to get this thing away from us. <coughs> it may have been good for them, but it's not God's order for us. So we have to learn to steward the presence of God. I really believe that God is too creative to be stuck in one kind of move. He's too big for that. Look around the house. None of us are dressed alike. Nobody. Scott's up here in a nice shirt and jeans. I'm up here in a suit. Pastor Val's down there in a jacket, nice shirt. Every one of us, you ladies, some got dressed. I see back there, I got these sparkles that miss what's-her-name got on back there just knocking my eyes out this morning. Just messing. But we're all dressed different. I believe that's how God is. God's too, too different. But I've got to learn to steward the move of where we are at this moment of time. Man, it makes me think of John and Mert. Patterson, many of my older ones in the room will know. If I heard this story once, I heard it a million times. John Patterson would tell me, Pastor, I remember the days we lined up all the way around the church, all the way, we were shoulder to shoulder, and we had prayer meetings that way. I don't question that whatsoever. Those were great times. Those were wonderful times. I can't even get you to come out for a... Hello. So to look at that and say, that's it. I'm not putting any condemnation. Did you ever think that maybe God might be doing it a little bit different than 35 years ago? Got to learn to steward the presence. And he may move over there and do this with them. And over here it'd be totally different. You got to learn to steward the presence of God for your own life. Here's the... Where well, I don't even know where I'm at. Number four. David lived, God, David lived for God out loud. I, I believe we've got to come to that point, church, if our future is going to be brought. If you're ashamed of me, he said, I'm going to be ashamed of you. I, I think we've got to start living our, our, our Christianity, our godliness, our, our relationship. We've got to live it out loud. In other words, I live it in such a way everybody knows. You, you, this whole thing, l listen about David. I, I've been in every worship seminar under the, you know, over years. We've done this, all this stuff. And never, every one of them talks about David dancing before the Lord with all of his heart. You know, it wasn't anything about the dance. It was about David's expression of worship in his heart. That he lived it out loud and he didn't care who thought what. And so many times we've gotten to the point that we're ashamed to live. We're ashamed to stand up and be counted and say, I'm a child of God. I don't care what you think. I don't care what they think. I'm, I'm going to live this. And yes, the Bible said those that choose to live godly will face persecution. Yeah. There's going to be people tell you you're weak-minded. There's going to be people tell you you're crazy. There's going to be people do all kinds of things. The Bible said those things would happen. But you and I, I believe in this hour, have got to live our worship out loud. David, when he got there, he, he offered two offerings. He offered a burnt offering, which was an offering of sacrifice. I believe was pointing to the fact, 
pointing to the fact of what God said, was pointing into our future of what Jesus would come to do, that he would be the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And not only did he offer a a burnt offering, but he offered offered a peace offering, which was an offering symbolizing I'm, I'm in a relationship with God. Church, we can't be ashamed to say I'm a child of God in this stage. You don't have to scream it and put the button on. Just live it. I love, last week, I don't know, you ought to go back and listen to Jensen Franklin last week. He said something that thundered in me. I listen to him every Sunday. He said something. He said, quit fighting the darkness. Just turn on the light. Man, think about that from just turn on the light. Because light expels the darkness. Mm. Man, that was good. I wish I had had that. But we got to live this thing out loud. Here's number five. When he got there, he blessed. He loved and he blessed others. He was demonstrating the life of God, what God wanted for the people. He loved others, that he wanted them to to live the life that God intended them to live, that he gave them bread. Bread represents, it's the, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. He's he's saying, I'm the very uh, sustenance of life, what keeps you going. But it's interesting to me that he gave them piece of meat and raisins. And from what, as I studied, because I love what things that simple, because I think everything has a meaning. And as I was pushing this thing out a little bit, unfolding it, I, I saw something about that. That not every meal was a meal that had meat on the table. Matter of fact, most of the time, that was for people that of, of great wealth. Uh, that had position and great. And David humbled himself. And I believe it's what Jesus said. I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. He loved and he, he wanted others to have what he had. He wasn't going to live in that palace and his people under him. He was leading them into the fullness of everything that God Intended worship team, make your way back. Here's the last one. I really want you to think about this one. No motive other than what God's put in my heart. Because these things, these are the things I got when I walked in the door and had to write them down quick. He invested into the future. He invested. Into the future. See, most of us don't invest in our future. We just live for the moment. Pentecostal charismatics are the worst. Especially when it comes to church. We just come in. We, we call, we're, we're really encounter people. We just want the encounter. I'm, I'm all for encounter. But I've watched a lot of people encounter, walk out and go right back to the same life. I go back and nothing happening. But if we're going to have a bright future, church, please hear me. 
We're going to have to invest into our future. We're going to have to look beyond now. I've got to look beyond me. I've got to look beyond this moment. Every night when me and I pray and we have communion together, one of the things we declare is that God, we are blessed and our children and our grandchildren and even those that are yet to come are going to be blessed and so are you. I got to start thinking about my future. I got to start thinking about this generation then the next group coming. I know what most of us feel. Most of us feel, you know, we've lost this generation. No, we haven't. You're just not looking at it. Because you're focused in on the moment. And you're not seeing what's out there. I did hear some staggering statistics. I, I don't have them all right in front of me. But just what I can remember off the top of my head. The reality is a lot of people are, are leaving church all over the world. While some are growing at miraculous rates. Young people. Young people. Young adults. Teenagers. Mom and dad, I asked you a question. Where's your kids? Where's your grandkids? Where are they at? Some of them don't even go to church. Maybe it's not. No condemnation. Maybe it's not because they don't want church. Maybe they're in a spot that you're not. Maybe they're in a place with God that you, have, you and I haven't got to and may not get there. It's not a bad thing. Think about it for a moment. Y'all really looking at me now. David's sitting in this house. Man, God, I just, and I believe his heart was... David, God said this about David. David's a man after my heart. And then it says in Acts 13... It says that David is a man that served his generation and would feel the pur- fulfill the purpose of God. I love that about David. And David sitting in this house. And, man, God, I want something better for you. You don't deserve that. You're bigger than that, God. You're better than that, God. God said, David, I'm going to build a place. You're not going to build it because you can't contain me, David. You wouldn't build big enough anyway. But I'm going to let your son build it. His name is going to be Solomon. He's going to build my house. He's going to build a place. Matter of fact, the Bible says in 1 Chronicles, I believe it's chapter... Let's see if I wrote that down. Chapter... uh, I must not have. I believe it's chapter... 22 of Chronicles. You don't have to turn there, but you can check it out later. David, same it's stories being repeated and being repeated in that in that book. That David says to Solomon, he says this. Listen, listen to this. Solomon, my son, whom God hath chosen, is young and tender. He's going to build the house of the Lord in the future. What's he saying? He's just a kid. Has no experience. But you've got experience. Every one of us in this room have an, I, I've got experience. I sometimes walk and pray in here and I 
thank the Lord for everything that He's allowed me to walk through in 40-something years of ministry. Pastor, we've encountered, you have, I know you have, I have, many of, man, Miss Adrian, we've encountered some things in God. And I'm thanking Him for it all the time. And yet I know that there's more and I keep crying out for more. God, I want to see more. I've had experiences. And this is how most of us older ones think. They need what we have. And you know what? That's true. They need the God that we have. But it may not manifest the way it looked for us. They may not have all-night prayer meetings, although some of our college students sitting in this room, don't tell me they're not praying. They're opening up their dorms, and they're praying throughout the night. Hey, I'm talking about our young adults. We got young adults that are passionate. We got children that are passionate for the Lord. But they may not look like us. Matter of fact, when they're kids, moms, you, you know, we, it was a funny thing. Little girls get dressed like mama. I don't know if it was a homemade dress or what, but put, put some little girl dresses on, just look like mama, and you go to church, and everybody, oh, isn't that sweet? Y'all look just alike. Now, if y'all do this, don't anybody be offended. But these Christmas pictures where everybody's in the same pair of pajamas, I don't get that. I don't get that at all. It's just a picture. But there comes a moment of time that little girl isn't going to want to dress like you, Grandma. They're not going to want to dress like you, Papa. They're not going to want to dress like that. These guys up here, Well, Pastor, if you tell them put a suit on, they would, probably. But that still don't make them them. They just did it because I told them to. And they resent it the whole time they're wearing it. Hello? Sometimes when you see people, we don't think about, well, I think we ought to do our very best. I agree. But I got guys in this room, your shirt costs more than my suit does. And that's the very best. Think about that for a moment. See, we don't know. We don't understand. As we go into our future, we go into our future. He said, build me a house. Think about this. The tabernacle that God gave to Moses and the temple that Solomon is going to build. One's made out of skin. The other one's made out of brick. One back here is movable. The other one over here isn't. Both of them, there was sacrifice in both of them. But there was something that the tabernacle had that the the tabernacle in the wilderness didn't. David put singers and worshipers and he got loud in there. David had a media team. Do you realize that? David had a media team. He had somebody there recording everything that was going on, what was being said. See, we don't think that's our pastor. That's not the way. Hey, go look at the change that went on. 
he began to invest. David said he's tender. I've got experiences. Oh, oh, I wish I'd wrote that passage of scripture down. But this is what the word said. Well, pastor, I just don't believe that's God. Hang on. Back there at the tabernacle, God said, follow the pattern that God verbally, physically spoke to Moses on the mount. So here in the temple with Solomon, this is what the Bible said. That God gave to, that David gave to Solomon his son all the plans of the tabernacle that he was given by the Spirit. And it looked totally different than that over there. Church, if we're going to have a bright future, we're going to have to push into our, to our next generation. We're, we're going to have to look there. I hope you don't mind. Jerry Nielsen was in the house. He came in this morning, first words to me. I've had this reality check. I thought, what's up? He said, I realize I'm the second oldest guy in the church. Reality check. It's not one overtaking the other, but God was doing something. And God said, through our generations, everything that God does, you go to look in the Bible. I don't have time. I need probably another hour. But God would say this. Everything that God does, He does generationally. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Back to Back to the beginning. He said to Adam and Eve, fulfill all the earth. They couldn't do that by themselves. It was going to come by grandchildren. It was going by children, grandchildren, great, grand, great, 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 all the way down through it. It never stopped. David's lineage. It went, why do you think when you open up the New Testament, it opens up with a book of genealogy? One generation declares the work of the Lord to another. But he invested. He invested into the future. And he said, I planned for this. I'd already set aside something to build the God, God a place. But David went on to say, I'm going to even add more to it. Because this is about my children and my grandchildren. I'm going to go back to what Jensen said about fighting darkness. If you want to overcome darkness, just turn on the light. And I want to say to all of us in this room, you want to save America? Then let's save America. No, you didn't, I didn't mean by politics. Let's save America by saving the people, saving a generation, letting them know about Jesus. I'm not saying the other isn't important. I'm just saying it's not the answer to America. And it's not the answer to the future. Jesus is the only answer. He's Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. It's a pattern for a bright future. I believe it with all my heart. And it's going to require us to invest in it. Yep, I'm going to say to you again, I hope I'm inspiring you, not condemning you. That's what I wanted. I want you. They're not going to do it our way. It may not ever look this way. 
I believe the church is always going to be there because it's a symbol to a community. You know that verse, Pastor, I, I just a thought, I'll close with this. I thought they were coming. Come on out, guys. Uh, you know where he said, Jesus, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. You know what I really believe he was speaking? This right here. That you guys are so much in love with God. And you're so much in love with one another. And you want to see each other blessed. That you want to be in. That you will come together. And as a dwelling place, everybody will know. That you're my disciple. Hey, I, that's where the people of God are. I can't wait to get into the new year. God's already speaking to me how to start the new year off. And I don't, want to, I don't want to give it away. But I'm telling you, it's going to be good. And you don't want to miss it. But I believe God is moving. And He's doing something great. From our view, what's the future going to look like? What's the future going to look like? If it's bleak, maybe you've got the wrong view. But I'm telling you, God is still on the throne. And He's moving. And He's doing. And He's working. And we're going to walk into a very, very bright future. I believe it with all of my heart to the coming of Jesus. Come on and stand with me. Mm. Lord, I ask you this morning. I I have deposited just as you gave to me. And I ask you this morning, Father, that you would open the eyes of our understanding to this moment. That we know the hope of your calling. What are the riches of the glory of the inheritance? I pray right now, Father, that you would give us the grace. That you would give us the boldness. That you would give us the courage to take bold steps and turn into our future and begin to work for it, Lord. To see it bright. To see it overcoming. To see our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. To see them flourish in the house of God and not be turned off by the church any longer. Lord, we repent. We repent this morning where we have failed to make curves and turns. Where we failed to make adjustments that would move us further. God, we repent from the moment, God, where we have, Lord, we just lost sight and so focused on ourselves. God, I pray in the name of Jesus. And I decree and declare over this place that the future is bright that the future is bright that the future is bright I declare it over every person in you all condemnation all craziness go in the name of Jesus I pray right now Father 